Three weeks ago, we started this series, Shipwrecked. Four weeks ago. Four weeks ago we started. We have one more left. And I, and I also lament that. I, this series has been really fun for me. It's been one of my favorite to explore. And same with in Sunday school, we've been going through this Galatians series. Both of them are becoming uh, to their end, and I am saddened by that. This series has followed Paul, this prisoner, who uh, has this journey set before him that is anything but comfortable. And why this is not a Father's Day sermon message, I think Paul sets up an amazing example for us on what it means to be a spiritual father and a discipling powerhouse to those around us. Our series, Shipwrecked, follows Paul's seafaring journey as a sentenced prisoner in chains. It teaches us to faithfully depend on God and stay the mission, even in the moments we feel bound by our circumstances. And through this five-week series of Acts 27 and 28, it is, it was my hope that we learn to mirror Paul's dependence in God and stay the course despite what circumstances we are seemingly prisoners to. This morning, we continue to follow Paul's journey, and we, and we move into Acts 28, 1 through 10, and where Paul has become shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Now, before we move into our passage, let me just briefly recap uh, what has happened so far in our time together in this series and through this story. Paul has returned from Jerusalem. He's full of great energy. He's just had these huge breakthroughs for the kingdom of God in the Gentile world. He comes back home. He's bragging about it. He walks into a temple, a synagogue, and he's drugged out and beginning uh, to be beaten down in the street. When luckily a Roman soldier interrupts this riot, this riot that has looked to kill Paul for reaching out to the Gentiles, and the, gov- the uh, Roman soldier arrests him and says, use your ro- Roman citizenship, appeal to Caesar. So Paul does just that. And Paul's able to appear before the governor Agrippa, and then he's sentenced to go onto a boat ride to appear for his freedom before Caesar. And so he's put onto a boat in which he doesn't want to sail and into seas that were not really sailable. And he faces storm and disaster after disaster to the point where they actually become lost for over two weeks at the sea. Finally, last week, they stopped getting lost as they ran themselves aground onto a place that they had no idea where they were. This morning, this is where we pick up the story. And we're going to be looking at Acts 28, 1 through 10. You can follow along in your Bible, or it will also be on the screen in front of you. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Because that's the logical step. If you get bitten by a snake and you don't swell up, instead of thinking, hey, I bet the snake wasn't poisonous, you automatically think, no, that person must be a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publis and the chief official of the island. 
He welcomed us into his home and showed us general, generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from uh, dysentery. And Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. Now this morning, it's my wish and my hope that we develop a deeper understanding to this story and to this passage. For that reason, I want us to revisit and explore some of the various moments that happen here in Acts 28, 1 through 10. Again, men and dad, uh, watch how Paul's ability to depend on God made him a spiritual father to the community in this story. Both the community that was on the ship and both the community that was on the island. The first thing we see in this story is that as a result of his dependence on God, Paul is never surprised by the place, uh, the place or the people, is what that should read, the place or the people in which God takes him to share the gospel message. Paul is never surprised by where God has taken his journey. In In this short series so far, we've seen Paul not surprised time and time again. Instead, he looks to bring the gospel in every one of these situations. Paul is not surprised when his Jewish people turn on him and try to kill him. Instead, he preaches the gospel. Paul is not surprised when a guard, a Roman guard, bounds him, takes his freedom, and puts him in chains. Instead, he preaches the gospel. Paul is not surprised when he's brought before the governor. He preaches the gospel. Paul's not surprised when he's imprisoned on a ship. He preaches the gospel. Paul's not surprised when he's lost at sea. Instead, he finds ways to preach the gospel. And in this story, as we read, once again, Paul is not surprised that he's been shipwrecked. He finds places to preach the gospel. And though we find Paul often writing to church communities, and often he is spending time in worship gatherings, the life of Paul is actually more defined by his interactions with those outside of the church. Paul has committed himself to missionally reaching the Gentile. All of his time spent advancing the kingdom is with those outside of the religious bubble. Far too often, let me just say, we as a church have invested everything into the Christian bubble and While Paul was invested in that context, we see him constantly advancing the kingdom outside of it. Paul may not be surprised in his story, but what does surprise us in his story is this warmth of the islanders. The interpreter's Bible commentary says, The first thing that strikes our attention about the sojourn in Malta is the unexpected warmth of the welcome. So Paul and his shipmates have run their ship into a sandbar. They've had to jump out of the ship. They begin to swim to shore. It's in the middle of winter. It is cold. The storm is like a hurricane. Some of the people were not able to swim to shore, so they're floating on oars and pieces of wood from the ship that is now collapsing around them. And they get onto the shore, and the first thing they see as they begin to limp and crawl themselves onto the land is that the locals have greeted them. Now, I don't know about you, but that might not be my first instinct if I was an islander. 276 people were on that ship. All of a sudden, you're walking the coast 
in a winter storm, and you see 276 people coming onto your shore. Your first instinct might not be to greet them. You might begin to think they're like a pirate crew. I mean, you see guys in Roman guard outfits. You see uh, guys in chains. You obviously know there's some prisoners here. I mean, it does not look like the group you want to run down and greet. But Paul and his shipmates begin to drag themselves onto the shore, and they find that they are warmly welcomed by the islanders. The islanders tell the soaked-to-the-bone shipwrecked victims that, hey, you have landed on the island of Malta. The islanders bring them to a bonfire in which they've started to warm up these winter storm victims. Now, the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary explores the Greek there. And where it says in the NIV that it brought them to the fire, the other implied thing in the Greek is that it also says they took care of their first aid. And so not only were they taking them to heal them and warm them, the healing part of that is that they actually treated them with first aid. And so later we're going to see Paul return the favor with healing. But here, as they are shipwrecked, these, outside, these islanders have began to treat them with warmth and with first aid. Now, notice, if you're reading out of the King James or I think the New American Standard, they use the word barbarians there. That the island, uh, islanders are not referred to as islanders. They were referred to as barbarians. Now, if you're like me, the first thing you think of when you think of barbarian is you kind of think of this, like, or, like uh, how do I want to describe it? Like a kind of a pirate Viking kind of big hairy guy that's carrying an axe and uh, kind of like this hairy dude, right? I mean, this is not what is meant there. The word there that barbarian comes from literally means those who don't speak Greek or those who have not been influenced by the Greek culture. And so this is just, let me just say this side note, that far too often we are quick to judge people that are different than us because they sound or have a different culture than us. And the Bible translators are no different because they are quick to call the islanders uh, barbarians only because they don't speak Greek and have not been influenced by the Greek culture. Now, secondly, despite the fact that Paul has surrendered everything to follow Jesus— His journey has had hiccups, struggles, and letdowns. Paul has given everything to advancing the kingdom of God. His journey should be easy, right? God should be looking after him. But no, at every moment we see, Paul continues to run into more hiccups. If we were in Paul's shoes, what would be going through our mind? This story has been full of one bad step after another. At the end of the interview with Agrippa, Agrippa tells Paul, Paul, if he would have not appealed to Caesar, I could have let him go free. If he would have not used his Roman citizenship in the way he did, I could have released him. Now, were those words running through Paul's mind, there would be no loss of freedom. He would not have had to be imprisoned on a ship. There would be no storms. There would be no lost at sea adventure. There would be no shipwreck. He would now not be surviving on an island with a language barrier, and there would be no snake bite. Seemingly, though, Paul takes everything that comes at him with glory of God, for the glory of the gospel. Paul's life has been put through the ringer with every step of good intention. Now, why should we expect our Christian life to be any different? Why should we expect it to be made up of dependable circumstances, great community, comfortable politics, vacation homes, wise investments, and more, when we see Paul, the guy who gave it everything, finds hiccup after hiccup after hiccup. 
Now, as I said, each step of Paul's journey had hiccups. And no sooner had the strangers been welcomed than a snake entered the picture. Now, N.T. Wright says it best about the snake. The story is both shocking and also funny. He says, all these riots, beatings, stonings, and finally a shipwreck. And then Paul might be carried off by a snake. After he has survived everything, Paul steps off the shipwreck. My word, we're still not there. God promised me. We're going to make it. I don't know what's going on. Let me just help with this firewood. And he gets bitten by a snake. Seemingly, after surviving all that, the thing that is about to kill Paul is this snake. Despite what context he's in. Paul is a servant of Jesus. And has always was aware of opportunities to serve others missionally. Paul is not a young man in his story. He's already lived through several eras of his life. So if you can identify, listen to that. Because somehow, after swimming ashore in a winter hurricane storm, Paul still has the energy to get up and serve by finding firewood. Paul is an old man. He has survived 14 days of barely eating. He has swam ashore. And somehow, in that moment, he doesn't just slump down into a log seat by the fire And just, man, I've done my time. Paul finds ways to be missionally engaged in the moment. And in it, he sees these islanders have brought them to a fire. And to him, the best thing he could do was find ways to be committed to it. And so he begins to walk around and find more wood to fuel the fire to keep them warm. He's like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps going and going and going. Now, I don't know what your Malta is this morning. I don't know what your place of shipwreck surrounded by strangers is. However, I hope our Malta moments, in our Malta moments, we're all able to push on to see the kingdom break through. That is an amazing aspect of Paul in this story. So as Paul is reaching into some dry brush to get more fodder for the fire, he jumps and he finds a poisonous snake, jumps out in fear and latches on to Paul's hand. Now, I don't like snakes. So if this thing is like jumping out of a fire for me, I'm definitely not taking it in stride. Paul pulls back his hand. Quickly, everyone realizes this was no garden variety snake. This was a poisonous viper that had deeply latched itself into Paul's hands. Now, we don't know what kind of snake bit Paul because uh, actually Malta itself now has no poisonous snakes. And Uh, We're going to talk about that, but some people feel that was a miracle of this moment, that poisonous snakes that used to live in Malta are no longer there. But from the beginning of time, throughout many cultures, snakes have been story spoilers. And they're no different here. N.T. Wright says, if the sea is a classic symbol of evil, then a snake is even more so. Whole cults, religions even, have been built around the strange power of the serpent. The fourth thing we see is that Paul's identity is confidently shaped by a reality that knows and owns that he has authority over this world. To everything else, he shakes it off. In each of these situations, Paul is not detoured or taken away from his mission. To everything, literally, including the snake in this story, he just shakes it off. Now, if you're like me, you already had the Taylor Swift song running through your head, Shake It Off, right? Like, Paul 
reaches in to put something into the fire, and a snake bites him. Paul holds it up. Everyone's, and Paul just, now, dads, that's a really manly move, right? I mean, we're talking about dads on Father's Day. Like, I, I hope that we have a little bit of that manly move. I mean, Paul, Paul's just, it says, Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Uh, snakes, let me get some more firewood. Listen to Paul teach on his confident dependence as he writes to the followers of Jesus in Rome. So Paul's life is defined by confidence, and you see it time and time again, not only in this story, but as he writes his other churches. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, nor our fears for today, or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Oh yeah, and not snake bites either. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, he tells the church in Ephesus. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And then Paul would go on to exemplify this promise God spoke over his followers. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the, always and to the end of the age. Paul is aware that he has anchored his dependency on God in such a way that no matter what he encounters on this journey, it is not going to move him because he knows that he has anchored himself in the one that has authority over anything. Now Luke is the writer of Acts, and, and most people assume that Luke was along for this journey. And that's why whenever you see Paul talk about we, it's probably uh, Luke talking about how he kind of went along for the ride with Paul. And so Luke, in 1019, this had to be going through his head. He had wrote this to his disciples. I have given you authority to trample over the snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. So here's Luke, and he remembers Jesus teaching on this, and he records it and shares it with his disciples. And then all of a sudden, he's on this boat with Paul, and Paul's putting firewood on the fire, and Paul gets bit and just shakes the snake off. This had to be going through Luke's mind. Remember when Jesus said that? Or what about when Mark, Luke would have also known the teaching that Mark records. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they will drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. The next thing we see is Paul's faith had not only exemplified power and authority over the snake, but over natural expectations and other ruling authorities. What we accomplish with what we are given makes all the difference. Naturally, Paul was expected to die from this snake bite. Ruling in this land, the spirit of Dike's justice, Dike's justice would have killed Paul. People expected Paul to die from the snake and from this, this ruling authority of the unseen world, this Greek god of justice. Instantly, when he didn't die from either of those things, people automatically thought, Paul must be a demigod. He must be, he must be a god. What we accomplish with what we are given makes all the difference. Paul uses his gifts and his skills to always point back to the gospel. Now, the Maltese people were highly influenced by what we might call mythology. There was a God for everything. There was a God that explained why something happened to everyone. 
And if a snake bit Paul, it probably meant in their understanding that he was a murderer. Seemingly, somehow, Paul, in their mind, had survived Poseidon, and he was able to survive the sea, but now this god of justice, Dike, would not allow him to live. See, Dike was the goddess of justice and vengeance. She was thought of as the one who ensured justice and moral order. They believed her to be the daughter of Zeus and Themis. She was described as a young woman holding a balance scale, and her Roman counterpart was depicted in the same way, but was also blindfolded. This statue is also all over America. I'm sure you have seen it. We still refer to her as Lady Justice. There was no way they believed that she would let Paul live. So jaw dropped, the islanders sit on the edge of their logs, pull up some popcorn, and they just wait for Paul to fall over dead. They can't believe that he is going to do anything but swell up and die. F.F. Bruce says, here is a prisoner who escapes death in a shipwreck, but is bitten by a serpent. The fate, and that's this idea that fate was always to get you, got the criminal after all. But when Paul continued his homely task unharmed, they decided he was a god. The next thing we see in this story is the more dependent and faithful Paul is with what he was given, God opens up more opportunities and responsibilities to him. See, Paul is really intriguing these islanders now because not only has he survived the storm and helped them uh, make a fire, now he's even survived the snake bite. So the first thing they want to take him to is their governor's estate. Paul needed a place to spend the winter months and storms on Malta, so they take him to this rich mansion on the hill that belongs to their governor. In a story, Luke writes, he welcomed us into his home. Now the question again here is, who is us? Did Luke mean, as he wrote this, that uh, the governor literally invited 276 people to stay with him for a few days? Or was Luke referring to something smaller? I, I think when he writes, he invited us into his home, and so does a lot of other biblical historian experts think that Luke is referring to Paul, Luke, and also the centurion guard, because at this point in the story, the centurion guard has stopped the soldiers from killing him, from killing Paul. And so there's no way that centurion guard is going to let this guy out of his sight. I state my claim, my name, on making sure he isn't killed. I got to make sure he doesn't escape. So the us here probably is Luke, Paul, and the guard that has kind of uh, stayed with him every step of the way. In the estate... As Paul's walking around, he encounters the governor's dad in the mansion, and he's sick in bed. And Luke records a story just like a professional doctor would. He actually diagnoses the man. He said he had a fever and dysentery, or this idea that he had bloody stool and a high fever. Now, this is an actual disease that is still very common in this area, and they've nicknamed it the Malta or the Mediterranean Fever, And so most likely, this was pretty rampant at the time. And it had a lot to do with their farming practices and how bacteria, it was kind of like a salmonella thing. And Paul finds himself in the room with this aged man and prays for him while he's in his bed. It says, as Paul finishes praying and lays his hand on him, Luke records the man is instantly healed. It's important to notice that Luke, the doctor, points out that this healing was instant. 
the islanders are now thrown over the top. First, snake bites don't bother him. And now he's even healing the governor's dad? Now, do you see how the people respond? It says they begin rushing Paul with all the sick on the island. Paul is amazing. There's something different about this guy. There's something different about the way he believes. He's able to have authority over things we can only dream about. And so they begin to bring him. Now, it's also interesting to notice that the word, when it says Paul instantly healed them there, literally means a supernatural healing. Now, when it says that Paul, uh, they brought their prisoners, I mean, their, their islander, the rest of the sick islanders to Paul, the word there actually means cured. And so we could leave that up to debate if uh, Paul literally supernaturally healed everyone or if he supernaturally healed why Luke, the doctor, worked on some first aid stuff. The word there is cured. And so there's this idea that perhaps they were working together at accomplishing the healing. But it is important to notice that in every step, these two, Luke and Paul, are using whatever skills they have to accomplish the most for the gospel. When we surrender to God in our storms and in the places we are shipwrecked, God will not only use us, but bring us out of it. In the middle of his struggles, Paul surrenders to God's use. In response, the neighborhood actually comes to Paul, a sentenced prisoner in chains. This is amazing. Paul is a prisoner, and the whole island is responding to him as if he was some special thing. As Paul is faithful with what he's given, Paul finds comfort as they winter the next three months of Malta. In return to his faithfulness, God then uses the people of Malta to bless Paul and allow them to continue on their journey. As we close with this installment of this adventurous story, allow me to take a look at Malta one last time. In our passage this morning, Paul is shipwrecked on Malta. And this is a picture of modern-day Malta. You see, Malta was just about 50 miles shy of where they were trying to arrive. It was so close to Rome. Now, Malta is a beautiful island of rocky coastlines. Though for Paul it wasn't a destination, it served him well in the three months that he wintered there. At this time, Malta was known and defined by many things. It was known for its, its uh, inhabitant uh, foundation by people called the Phoenicians. It was known as the refuge or a place of being a refuge at the sea. It was known for being the place of sweet honey because there were so many bees and honey products that were produced on this island. It was known for safe harbors to winter in. It was known for rich vacation homes of people in Rome. And eventually, and we see this all the way up through the early church, it was a place known for its custom textile products, so much so that there are still textile engravings on buildings from this era on Malta. But for Paul, it was just a place he was shipwrecked on, a place he didn't want to be. Despite that, he made the most of it. Paul remained dependent on God and never surprised, surrendered in a moment, and despite continued letdowns, kept on. He kept his eyes open and he walked in authority. And God continued to give him more and more responsibilities, even in a less than desired reality. As a result, God saw him through. Now this is a testimony of how God did more than see him through. This seemingly exotic and tropical beach photograph that you're looking at is a recent picture of a small bay off the island of Malta. Something once happened in this bay. 
a finicky little Jew with the odds stacked against him, remained faithful, and as a result of a three-month visit, found himself changing the culture of the island forever. In the distance of this picture, you can see what is now referred to as St. Paul's Island. And here you have what is called St. Paul's Bay. And this is the beginning of a town that is still today called St. Paul's Town. There are churches named after the shipwreck, and the Catholic and Christian faiths are still the predominant religious expressions on this island. They are the major majority. Folks, Paul's impact in his less than desired place affected the culture of that island forever. What is your Malta? Where have you been shipwrecked with a bunch of strangers that you don't necessarily feel connected in? Where is it that every step you take seems to be another place of letdown? Where is it that every time you come around the corner, there's a poisonous snake biting at you? And how in the midst of that will you own up and begin to walk in surrender and authority in the middle of it? How will you be faithful with what you're given in the less than likely situation you're in? This situation full of strangers and inconveniences. Folks, if you can do that, you can remain faithful in that. God will do more than see you through. He's going to invest a kingdom impact through you. What if we as a church can be okay to surrender in the moment with the reality that is around us and be surrendered to make the most of it? And what happens to the future of this neighborhood and to this city if we do that? How do people look back hundreds of years later and see how we lived and preached the gospel matter? I encourage you to think on those things as the worship team comes forward this morning to lead us in our closing song.